So I want to begin by talking about the woman and these Pharisees and scribes and their interaction from there to talk about, uh, bring Jesus into the picture uh, and talk about Jesus' interaction with the woman and then try to connect the woman with St. Paul and finally just talk about St. Paul and us. So first, this, this woman with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. So this woman is caught in the very act of committing adultery and they come to Jesus to test him and they say, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So I want to just look at the law real quick uh, because they're not entirely wrong. Um, so in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verses 22 through 25, um, it explains what happens when someone commits adultery, what, how they're supposed to respond to it. So this is what it says. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from the midst of you. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. So that's the law. We have the story. Did you notice what's missing? The man. So what does that say? That says that there's something fishy going on here. Now, we don't, we don't know what happened to the man. Uh, it could be that, that uh, they already dealt with him. It could be that they already stoned him to death or something. It could also be that, you know, like, he's faster than them. He got away or he, he's stronger, right? These are the religious leaders, and they're not very athletic probably, right? Because, you know, religious leaders aren't very athletic. And so it could be that he got away. What, what could also be the case, and this is, this is kind of what's in my, my mind, my imagination, as I'm imagining this all sort of play out, is that they just let him off the hook. That they just wanted to make an example out of someone, and so they chose to make an example out of the woman instead of out of the man, and so they just let him off the hook. And so they, they bring her to Jesus. And I was, I was thinking about this. Um, like, Jesus, is, he's so good. So many times in the Gospels, he takes, he takes the expectations of the people around him, and, and he just sort of, like, flips it upside down. I was thinking like, okay, so this, this man and this woman are caught in the very act of committing adultery and the man is let off the hook. We might say, we might say that they decided to show him mercy. And the woman, they're treating justly according to the laws, which that in itself, I think, is, is something that, that might be worth pointing out that, uh, you know, the law is written not, not for the sake of, of just, you know, giving people a just punishment, but the law is written, as, as you heard, because we don't want evil to be in our presence, right? And, and so more than, more than a, this is the, the consequence of your action, more than anything, it's meant to be, don't commit evil so that you don't have to experience the consequences. But, but nonetheless, this woman is being treated just, justly while the man uh, was treated, we could say, with a, a kind of mercy. Except, except this was in my reflections, that, that this man, although he was treated with mercy by the Pharisees and the scribes, he still had to face judgment before God. 
And now we don't, we don't know what ultimately happened there, what that judgment looked like, but, but nonetheless, he still committed a grave offense against God. And yes, these men forgave him or showed him mercy, but, but that doesn't mean that God forgave him or show, showed him mercy. Whereas now this woman who is not shown mercy in the same kind of way, she is brought before Jesus, publicly exposed and humiliated for her grave crime, which was a grave crime that she committed. And yet, she's the one who receives mercy, not from people, but from God, right? Because Jesus isn't just another man. He's divine. And so just like part of my reflection, this, this first point is, when we bring our sins before God, we can have them forgiven. And I think sometimes maybe in our culture, we, we as people can be really quick to forgive people, forgetting that they actually need to face God in judgment. And so sometimes the, the, the human mercy that we can offer people, it might be motivated from a really good place. But sometimes I think it's actually worthwhile for us to tell people, you need to go and repent to the Lord. You need to bring your sins to the Lord because the Lord is merciful. But, but if, if you don't bring your sins to him, then yeah, sure, I might forgive you. I might not hold on to, to anger against you, but, but that doesn't matter when you're faced with eternity. You know, like, and so it's just like Jesus is just so good to, to sort of, bring this out, right? These, these words from her, this woman standing before him, she knew, she knew that she deserved death. She knew that she deserved to be stoned to death. And then to hear the words from Jesus, neither do I condemn you. It's just, it's so incredible. Like you can imagine her, like, like her, her eyes looked down out of shame for what she had done and, and you know, just like prepared preparing herself for death, and then to hear the words from Jesus, neither do I condemn you. You can just sort of like imagine like the shock and astonishment as she like looks up and it's just like, wait, what, really? This is amazing. It's like she's, she's received a new chance at life. Right, the first reading, Isaiah talks about this. The Lord talks about this. See, I am doing something new, right? I'm bringing forth something new. This is, this is what Jesus is doing. Like, neither do I condemn you. I see your sins because it's been brought to me, and neither do I condemn you. Amazing. That's, that's the first point. The, the second point is, is this, because Jesus doesn't finish with that. He then says something that, to me, caught my attention in a new kind of way, even though it's been pointed out before. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then this, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. I've, I've heard this line. I've read this passage. I've preached about it. I've, I've noticed this line before, but there's something new about this line that, that struck me this week. This, this idea, this reality, the command from Jesus, who has just forgiven her of her past sins, the command now, go and do not sin anymore. And I was just thinking like, that's probably really hard. Especially like, so to think about this, it, this woman committed adultery. It doesn't say that this, the man forced himself upon her. It doesn't say that he abused her. It doesn't say anything like that, that she was justly brought before them in the law. What leads up to adultery? People don't, generally speaking, people don't suddenly commit adultery. Like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? 
What leads up to adultery is a series of sins that slowly build and build and build in their gravity before God. That is to say that it, what precedes adultery is a number of offenses to God that build and build in their severity before him. So for, for, for her to be forgiven is, of course, an incredible gift from the Lord, an incredible gift of mercy and compassion. But then what follows is a challenge that must have been incredibly difficult because this woman probably, most likely, had a pattern of sin in her life. That is to say, she had a pattern of ignoring God's commandments and ignoring God's will for her, such that she began to offend him more and more and more as her days went on. And so now for her to receive this challenge from Jesus, go and sin no more, you can imagine. That's really hard. And, and maybe we don't have to imagine, maybe we, like, I can just look at my own life, right? Like, I don't remember the last day that I went an entire day without committing an offense against God, that I went an entire day without sinning. And for that matter, if, if any of you think you have, you're fooling yourselves. That we, as a people, are rebellious against God all the time. And so, to hear, like, Jesus speaks the words to this woman, but he also speaks the words to us. He says to us, yes, bring your sins to me so that I can forgive you. Yes, come and repent so that I can absolve you from your sins. Recognize that, that your sins actually deserve death. And yet, when you bring them to me, I will forgive you. But then, go and sin no more. That's really hard. And this, I think, is what St. Paul is getting at in our second reading, when, when he says this, uh, this, this last paragraph that we heard. It is not that I have already taken hold of it, that is the resurrection of the dead, or have already attained perfect maturity, but I continue my pursuit in hope that I may possess it. Since I have indeed taken possession of, I have been in, indeed been taken possession of by Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession. Then he says this, just one thing, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead. I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. I, I just wonder, I wonder if we think about our lives with Jesus that way. I wonder if you in your life as a Catholic Christian and me in my life as a Catholic Christian, as a priest, if we think about ourselves like this. St. Paul says, just one thing. In other words, he's saying, I have one goal in my life. One goal, which is to strain forward so what lies ahead, my one goal is the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. We ask ourselves this, these questions all the time, like, what are your goals for your life? What, like, oh great, congratulations, you just retired. Like, what do you, what do you hope to do in your retirement? Uh, you know, like, I want to travel a little bit, I want to, you know, maybe, maybe babysit the grandkids, like, that's the best thing ever, right? Like, I want to I spend more time, I want to do all kinds of things, right? Not necessarily bad things, but, but St. Paul, I think, is challenging us. He says, I have one goal for my life. That is heaven. 
I wonder if, if, if we were to ask ourselves these questions, what are your goals for your life? I wonder how many of us would even mention heaven among our goals. I think, I think maybe part of the reason we wouldn't be inclined to even mention heaven as part of our goals, and I know that we're inclined to not mention heaven because I ask people this, what are your goals for your life? And they'll say all kinds of things and they won't mention heaven. And part of that is because we just have a tendency to assume that we're already, we've already attained that goal. Well, like I've already received salvation from Jesus. And so like, that doesn't need to be part of my goals because I already have it. And I know that when I die, like I'm gonna go to heaven. And again, I think St. Paul is challenging us, right? He says, I, I myself, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession of it. St. Paul, who is a great saint, one of the, perhaps the greatest evangelist in the history of the church, who is divinely inspired by God to write these words, says, I actually don't think that I've attained possession of heaven yet. And so if he says that, how much more should we, who are not great saints, well, maybe, maybe some of you, I'm, how much more should I, who am not yet a great saint, say that, you know what, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't actually know that I've attained heaven, so maybe that should be my one goal. St. Paul, in fact, earlier in the letter to the Philippians, he mentions this. He says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Why is he saying that? Not that we should be afraid of God. Not that, that, that we should have this, this, this kind of like, I'm scared of, of, of God because I'm scared of his punishment. But instead, it's, it's rather that, that we all have heard the message of mercy, but then we now have all heard the challenge to go and sin no more. And, and, and even though I've heard the challenge and I've heard the call from Jesus to go and sin no more, I recognize that I still sin. And so it's like I'm... I'm I'm, I'm all about receiving his mercy, but I'm not always all about going and sinning no more. And so like, I have to come before him and say, Jesus, I just keep sinning. I'm sorry. And I wish that I would stop sinning, but for some reason I just prefer, I just prefer to rebel against you. And so like, I, I need your mercy, right? This, this idea of, of like, Jesus is so patient and so merciful and so kind to us. And, and yet in response, we're so rebellious. And so there's this sense of like, Jesus, I know you don't have to forgive me. I know that I actually deserve a spiritual death. And yet I don't know any other way to go except to keep coming to you and asking for your mercy and forgiveness. This is like, this is what St. Paul's talking about. So what does he say? What does he say? No, I want to do this. And so I want to strain forward to what lies ahead to pursue the goal of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus to strain forward I wonder again how many of us how many of us are really straining forward I think of this like if you're racing someone in a sprint a foot race and it's a close race but you think you can beat that person what do you do you strain forward, you try, you put forth all of your effort, you make every effort to win that race. Or imagine you're a marathon runner and you, and you, you know your pace and you know that you're, you're nearing the, the last little chunk, the last, you know, that point two, 26.2 miles, you're, you're getting to that last point two and you recognize that you're just a few seconds off of beating your personal record. 
What do you do for that last point too? You strain forward in hopes that you might break your personal record. This is what St. Paul is talking about. That I'm, I'm putting forth every effort in my pursuit of heaven. Every effort to avoid sin, to avoid worldliness, to avoid attachments, so that I can put forth every effort to pursue not just like not committing sins, but instead that I want to pursue virtue. I want to pursue a life that is even more set apart. Rather than just like, well, I'm not committing any major sins, so I should be okay. No, but instead to say like, no, I, like, I don't want to be satisfied with any worldliness in me. I don't want to be satisfied with any sinfulness in me. But instead, I want to strain forward as I pursue the one goal of my life, which is heaven. And not just to like sneak in the back door, but I want to get to heaven and I want it to be a time where I am filled with all of the fullness of God. Because brothers and sisters, this is what's offered to us. That Jesus wants to give us not just like a taste of heaven, but he wants to give to us the fullness of who he is. That we can be filled with nothing less than his entire being overflowing within us. So I think, I think this morning, just as we finish, to, to just simply say a, a simple little prayer where we ask Jesus, we come before him and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, set our hearts on heaven. Open our eyes, Jesus. Wake us from our slumber so that we can see what, heaven, what sin does to us, what sin does to our souls, so that we can see how much of an offense every little sin is against you. And Jesus, give us conviction and fortitude to not only avoid those offenses, but even more so, Jesus, give us conviction and fortitude to strain after you, to run, with all of the energy that we can have. And Jesus, as we give all of our energy, give us even more and more and more and more. Because on our own, Jesus, we can't do it. But with your grace, with your mercy, with your compassion, with your assistance, Jesus, we can run faster than we could ever imagine. Give us that grace, Jesus to have one goal for our lives and nothing else. But that one goal is to receive the prize, the prize of your upward calling. Amen.